0: Hey everybody. Uh this is Dan and uh today we have an interview. Uh the interview is coach Cody Fielding and it was conducted at the Gathering of the Tribes 2007 Martial Arts Seminar that is annually sponsored by Innovative Martial Arts. Uh the coach the, the coach the uh, interview was done by Sterling and uh our instructor uh Charles Pippin. We really had a good time with uh, Coach Fielding. It was a great seminar and uh, Coach Fielding did a great session. Uh, Cody, uh, just to give you a little information on his background, Cody is a longtime physical culturist uh, and he performs seminars throughout the U.S. He's a competitive martial artist, as you'll hear in the interview. He's a certified Olympic lifting coach, a certified CrossFit trainer, and a personal trainer and holds the distinction of certified coach under Scott Sonnen and Scott Sonnen's circular strength training system. So it was a really good interview, a very informative, and uh, I hope everyone enjoys it. Thanks again to Coach Fielding for his time.
1: My name is Cody Fielding. I'm from San Francisco. And uh, the main martial art that I'm studying right now is through Armax, which would be considered flow fighting. primary background was in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, uh, I studied Muay Thai, and I also studied Sambo, oh, okay. the Russian martial art, both a sport version and a combat version, which is a full contact sport.
2: Okay. So, how did you get started in the martial arts? Like, from the very beginning, what was the thing that kind of sucked you in and, where to, and it took you from there?
1: Well, my dad was a cop for a very long time, and so um, he's a fighter by nature. And so that's kind of the first draw-in, was him orienting me to how to fight, how to conduct yourself, how to protect yourself. And the difficulty was that as a younger person, now 44, as a younger person, each time I got into the martial arts, I found that the the people in the dojos didn't seem to live their own philosophy. They seemed unhealthy for the most part. And um there was an overemphasis on this uh formality of of bowing and acknowledgement when I didn't know this person, you know, I I'm happy to accept that someone has skill, but to but for when I when for me personally, when I bow to someone, that's because they've earned that. Right. And uh and so that didn't kind of work for me. I also found that it was a lot of kind of testosterone driven Uh, aggressive nature which of course seems to go with martial art but what I've been able to find um, through the RMAX organization and Scott Sonnen is uh, a group of people who really leave the egos outside of the dojo and leave the egos outside and that uh, allows for me personally, it allows me to enter the arena in a much more open way
2: so um, well I'll talk a little bit about about the Armax and, and Scott and that sure. whole deal. I mean, that's sort of, uh, in my opinion, something a little bit new, you know, in the whole arena of martial arts.
1: Sure. Well, uh, Scott is a friend and a mentor and my coach, my primary martial arts coach. And um, I met him originally when um, well, he has a whole CST, Circular Strength Training, philosophy uh, and health system, which really has three wings, and one of those wings or pillars behind his organization is a, a strength training system called Club Bells, and I f- the first time I touched one of the Club Bells, I knew that I had found something, because I'd been in the gym and been a trainer for many years, but it was liter- it was genuinely fun for me to work with those tools, so as I started working with those tools and buying some of the DVDs, uh, I started getting some other information from him, and I received an invitation to go to a martial arts event called Softwork. And it had been 15 years since I had touched martial arts because I'd just given up on thinking that I could find something that would work for me. But the way that, um, the way that this event spoke to me um, was something special and worth an investment. So I went up there for three days and had a blast and got introduced to a group of people, including Scott as the leader of that organization, that really had a different energy to it. And what it, and and the nature behind it is something that they refer to, well, we refer to as the soft work, hard work continuum. And what you know, but to simplify it, it really is about um, working at percentages of speed, effort, and intention, so that instead of being shown a technique or a maneuver, or whatnot, at slow speed and then thereafter doing it very quickly and very rigorously you have these increments in between and the two training partners work very closely together and communicate well to make sure that you're that whatever you're working on whatever martial art application you're working on you are staying you're making yourself uncomfortable but not very uncomfortable so that you're staying under what we would refer to as your fear reactivity if the if the level of effort and energy being expended put up some, someone's central nervous system, it gets too excited, it starts to shut down. And so what we try to do is allow each person to train and progress as rapidly as possible by staying under that threshold. So the soft work, slow, easy, low amount of energy, to the hard work, say a 10, which is your maximal, and that the two training partners or partner training group can work anywhere in that continuum they need to. And this style and this concept worked incredibly well for me, and as well as the people themselves. I found them to be generous and kind and, and good people to work with. So that was really a, a revolution for me and got me reinvigorated in the martial arts to think that I could work with people like this, as well as the fact that uh, Scott is an international Sambo champion and a multidisciplinary uh, champion. And so to be able to work with someone of that caliber, who also had... Um, uh, what I would consider an honest heart um, was something that was very special for me. Um, I think a lot of
2: people would be, at least when I talk about it, because I don't know enough about it, I know a little bit through Mushtak, um uh, about, you know, about Armax and the flow and all that kind Mushdak of stuff. Mushtak Ali. Uh, yeah. And um, I think a lot of people, at least when I explain it, I feel like they're under the misimpression that I'm talking about. Some sort of a gym workout that's a supplement to your martial art. I mean, is it... It's more than that, and I know that, and it's hard for me to kind of get that across, but when, when I tell that to people and they kind of have that impression, what would you say about that? I mean, when people say, well, it kind of sounds like, you know, Club L's, and you're just kind of, it's like working out in the gym in a different way, and okay, maybe it's supplemental to your martial arts, but, you know, how, how do those two intermix, your martial arts and, and, what, and, and the RMAX stuff?
1: This is a good question. The, the key here is that um, the RMAX organization has an incredible depth of product and so what we have on the one side is a CST conditioning system which is the the key here is that as it has a health system they would refer we would refer to this as a health first imperative and so nothing is more important than your health and so what we do is we have there's three primary wings of CST um, this is um, the club clubbells uh, Prasara yoga and intoflow, which is a joint mobility and neuromuscular sophistication program those three programs are used I use those I train as a, as a professional trainer I train athletes of all types and all varieties and use these three wings interchangeably in the de- de- I, I have tennis players and I have uh, martial artists and I have just you know people who want to be fit and so I use all of those wings separate from the martial arts application then within RMAX, you have this martial, specific martial arts application, which is called flow fighting. So you have a conditioning and health system, and then you have flow fighting, which is specifically martial art. And people are obviously welcome to okay. to kind of connect into either one of those. Cool. Is that is that helpful? Yeah, that, yeah, it is. Question? Yeah. Um,
2: so. You're you're a fighter yourself, right? Yep. I mean, have you have you been in the ring? I mean, can you talk about some of your experiences? Um, sure. As you know, I, I don't know if I'm going to call it tournament fighting. Even is it more than that?
3: Professional fighter.
1: Uh, I no, I would not <laughs> consider myself a professional <laughs> fighter. Um, I you know here's here's my my position is one of the one of the things that I that I've always done, and for better or worse, is I have no belts. Um, I for whatever reason I don't tend to go as deeply into any one discipline as other people seem to I like to kind of pick and draw from from different disciplines and kind of build myself I really have enjoyed the emergence of the mixed martial art concept which is one of the reasons that combat Sambo uh, appeals to me so much, because it's a, it's a discipline that's been around for so long, and yet and, and is a mixed martial art in and of itself. There are a few rule differences, of course, between, say, what you would see in the UFC and what uh, combat Sambo has to offer, but, um, but essentially they're, they're similar in terms of you've got the stand-up and the striking, the takedowns, right. and the, the ground submission skills, jokes, joint locks, mm-hmm. whatnot. Um, there 's an emphasis there 's a deeper emphasis on on takedowns um, in terms of point structure so um, recently um, was in late january mid january um, I had a combat Sambo match, which was a real challenge for me because and I mean this quite literally the the person that i that I fought against is a superior martial artist to myself, and anyone who would watch us move would know that. <laughs> Um, and so and he studies Jeet Kune Do, and he studies Muay Thai, and he's been involved, he studies under Burton Richardson. And, and so for, for my coach, Scott Sana, to offer me the opportunity to fight him uh, was an incredible challenge. Something that when I first was offered the fight, I couldn't understand why my coach was setting me up to fail and to lose. That's literally the thought, the, the, the thought process that I had. I didn't understand it. I, I trusted him enough, and I do trust him enough, to know that there must be some value in the experience for me. And so I went forward with my training anyway. But I, but I literally, in the first couple weeks of training, didn't think I had a chance. And it wasn't until I started focusing all of my attention. I mean, I trained on Christmas Day, I trained on Christmas Eve... I trained every, in some manner or other, I trained every single day, not overtraining, paying very close attention, using RMAX principles, there is something called the um, three-dimensional performance pyramid, which is just an incredible model to use to prepare yourself for any type of event, and so I, I rigorously followed that plan. I, did, I focused a lot on the mental and emotional preparation, which was a big component of this for me, because I felt that I didn't have a chance. And so it was important for me to get that out of my head. Right. Uh, I leaned on my training partners. I, I leaned on my friends. I leaned on my mentors to help me through that emotional de- gap that I was feeling. But I did. I really did prepare in every possible way that I could. Um, and when the day came, it was a 10-minute one round, which is typical of combat sambo. Okay. So no breaks, 10 minutes, and, uh, and I won by one point. Wow. So, so it, was, it was really an incredible experience for me, and the real takeaway, and my opponent still remains a superior martial artist, that, that, that isn't in question, I just came out on top that day, but um, was what I got from that was the, the true nature of coaching. I spoke about this with someone last night. To have a coach me that far beyond what I thought I was capable of was and to come out e- even if I had frankly if I had not won and still conducted my you know if a point or two had gone another way and I had still conducted myself the way I had in that match I still would have been a victory for me
2: right you still learned something and you got something out of it yeah
1: and, and and if nothing else the nature of coaching and so even now when I work with my clients I have a different sense, especially as a you know, as a paid trainer, you know, people are paying me considerably for my for my skills to uh, to, to teach them things and to get them in condition, but they've pushed back. They don't want to work ex- you know, they only wanna work so hard and they only wanna do things and there develops a form of uh, complicity between a trainer and a client about what they will and won't do. And when they're paying you, you think they kind of have that leverage (laughs) to tell you, no, I don't want to do this. And yet I've been able since January to make a specific shift in terms of what I see as coaching and how I'm able to challenge people and the depth that I can challenge people and the rewards that come for both of us when I do that. And so, you know, once again, this is just working with a world-class coach and a world-class human being who was able to offer me that opportunity. I, to this day, uh, uh, I have no idea whether he thought I could win that fight. <laughs> uh, I have, my instinct is that he didn't think I would win either, but, uh, but that's okay. He, he knew that there was, there was a valuable and important experience for me in that, and, uh, and he offered me that opportunity. Mm-hmm. So this has all been part of it part of this experience for me and this evolution from someone who for so many years better than 15 years just left martial arts behind and was drawn back into it by this person and Scott on and this organization Armax, and um and now thoroughly enjoy it and then from that experience i i meet people uh, of can kin- i meet the kindred spirits i meet people of like mind you know today we're sitting in michigan and we're here at the dojo um and working with a group of people who are friends and associates of RMAX, and a wonderful group of people who once again have good hearts and low egos, and are just really trying to share share a combination of tradition, warmth, and martial art, and self-defense with their, their neighbors and their friends. And so it just continues to kind of expand from there. And so I will be eternally grateful to to Scott and to the organization for what they've been able to do for me in terms of reigniting me in the martial arts. Awesome. Um,
2: so you teach a lot of people, right? Yeah. And, I mean, do you teach internationally? I mean, have you taught people of other cultures and stuff? I'm, I'm just curious about um, the American mindset, the Western mindset, versus other cultures, um, and like you said, that mental attitude of... How do you push them to the edge without them just going, eh, I really don't want to work that hard? Yeah. You know, and, and is, how is that different across the different cultures?
1: Well, I'll be upfront and say that my experience at training internationally is limited. However, I do have clients that live in America that are from other places, and I do train a couple of people remotely. Um, they send me video clips and we communicate on email and whatnot. So it's not the same. Although, uh, I have a client from Germany who was able to fly in and spend some time with me and it was great, you know, having worked with this person remotely and then having them actually in your, you know, in your, in your gym was, was a great experience. But, um, the key here is that I have found that there's a universal, the universality of concepts of we, we all are drawn to martial arts for a reason. And some of us, many of us, it's getting over the fears that are associated with being hit, being hurt, with right. physical confrontation and whatnot. And I found that to be universal. And so the concepts that I'm able to pull and draw from um, in RMAX that are both the conditioning system and within the martial arts component is, seem, seems to me to be universally applicable. That's been my experience so far. Okay.
2: Um, okay, so you mentioned stuff about the UFC, and I'm just curious about how you think the UFC has influenced your thought processes. Did it, did it affect, you know, armax? The you know, the armax stuff. I'm assuming has been that movement's been around for a while, whether it was named at the time or not. But do you think the UFC type fights have influenced how you know that how decisions have been made at all? I mean, is it even on the radar?
1: Yeah, you know, it's definitely on the radar. Uh, the folks, the, the head coaches and uh, and Scott, are, you know, intimately involved in the martial arts and keep a really close eye on what's happening and what the trends are. And th- what I've been seeing, well, answer, I'll answer it a couple different ways. I think the UFC has had has had and will continue to have a profound impact on the way martial arts are practiced. I think from, from from what I see and what I experience, most of the younger people who are coming into martial arts are more interested in that mixed martial arts type fighting than they are in following um, karate or judo or jujitsu. They want to be able to... To fight in a more well-rounded, what they would think was more well-rounded manner, it's kind of a you know a street fight with rules and a judge, if if there's if there's such a thing, <laughs> right? Uh, where you know it's, it follows the natural progression of a fight, and the rules are more limited to things that would imp- critically wound someone. You know, no you know no eye gouging, right. no biting, no, no sticking your finger honest. in a no sticking your finger in a wound. <laughs> you know those kinds of things. But uh, but I think that this ha- is having an important impact, and. You know, we can look at um, the influence of the Gracies and when Hoyce Gracie came into the UFC and dominated the first few UFCs. And from there, every, and so basically he created an innovation in mixed martial arts. And what we saw in the early UFC was we saw people, really what the early UFC was from my perspective, is people from these disparate disciplines coming in to see which discipline could, would dominate another. Right. You know, if a Judo guy went against a Jiu-Jitsu guy, who would win? And it, that was kind of interesting from that perspective.
3: Yeah, I, uh, I watching rewatching the first couple of UFCs, it was seemed like it was much less professional athletes than just people who owned a dojo and, and paid their fee and got in there and got to get inside the ring, and it seems from my perspective to have evolved to it's much more of a much better conditioned athlete, much more caliber of athlete, right? Um, much better technique. There's you don't see the grudges in there. A lot of times you see the guys right after the match, regardless if we won or lost, get up and hug each other. Right. They touch gloves between rounds. I mean, it's just become a much more professional uh, venue. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
3: and I and I agree. The the
1: the development seems to be that that if you want to work if you want to fight in the UFC you have to have these multi, you know these, even if you come from Greco-Roman wrestling you have to iron out your skill set and you have to develop competency and um, and coach Brandon Jones of Armax you know and I'm just paraphrasing a couple of his comments but made some great observations about how how important innovation is and what ha- and what happened when when Hoyce Gracie came in he he forced an innovation people had to adapt to jiu-jitsu because no one knew how to handle it and so people had to learn how to handle it or else no one else was going to win and then people did and now that people as far as I can tell almost everyone in the UFC has a baseline understanding at least uh, a competency in in Jiu Jitsu um, it's negated the advantage that that innovation brought and uh, in, a more, in a more finite context, let's say Tito Ortiz, who came in and he developed this ground and pound from the guard. So he's in the guard and he can ground and pound, which basically has taken away the guard as an, as an important and critical position from that perspective. So right. if, people were, if people now were to adopt the methodology that Tito uses in the guard... It's going to take away the advantage that the guard gives, right. right? So, but even now, Tito. Now, once people start doing that, Tito has to. Tito has to innovate, and so this innovation. And this is what I think mixed martial arts is really to kind of come to the full circle answer of your question is I think this is what this is what UFC is in part doing is to, is forcing this innovation because you either innovate or you're out of the game, right? And and whether Hoyce Gracie and his fight with Matt Hughes um, was any indication, um, it seemed to be. You know, and that there, there may have been a level of conditioning and just a level of human power and strength. There can kind of other components that played into that, but certainly it didn't seem that there was just a level of outmatch there. And and I think that that speaks to what we're saying here.
3: Right. That and the Ken Shamrock and Tito Ortiz fight reminded me very much of the same thing. There. Right. Yeah,
1: and I think you know if you were to look at you know Ken Shamrock's training principles and who he used when he was on there was there's a reality show yeah, of the UFC. Yeah. and, and yeah. the person he brought in as a conditioning coach was a bodybuilder. Right. I mean, that just yeah. doesn't have a context, and, you know. And from a, from an armax perspective, that's really antithetical to what you're trying to accomplish, right? Because size without function is is purposeless. Or and you're just, you know, means. mass. And you know, of course, of course, musculature bring can bring strength with it, but you have to be able to employ that and to have a conditioning coach. And it's great, you know, if that's if that's his discipline of bodybuilding, wonderful. But it needs to be more sport specific, from my perspective. And also, I just
3: thought the coaching. I don't know if the methodology is the right word for it or not, but the, the guys on Tito's Because I watched a few of those when those two were coaching, he was so much more positive with them and encouraging and and it was uh constructive, not destructive or negative. Positive reinforcement. And his whole camp was just a happy it sounds corny, but a happier camp <laughs> <than> <laughs> <Happy> camp <laughs> <laughs> You yeah, know? Yeah. And they just they, they ran that whole show. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think Chuck makes a great, great uh, observation there. You know, the level of coaching has to rise along with everything else, and that's part of what we're seeing also. Is we're seeing the coaching getting better and better. I'll be interested. You know, I mean, ten years from now, it'll be interesting to see what we're talking about because I would imagine that as the UFC hasn't even—I would say, just opinion here—hasn't even come close to peaking yet. Um, you know, I think I find more and more women. Are becoming interested in the UFC. When I go to, we have some friends when we get together, and we're kind of you know, one of us will buy the, the forty dollar cable uh, thing for the evening. You know, and the room is fifty percent women. you know and they're getting into it and they're enjoying themselves and I think that's just great I think we'll actually ultimately we'll see women fighting in the UFC also which will again is a a kind of an innovation and something that progresses Mm -hmm. the sport
2: well we already see that a little bit in the World Combat League the World Combat
3: League yeah Yeah, where they have one at least one woman on the yeah at least one woman per team and uh, yeah that's actually been a lot of fun to watch too
2: yeah I think it's interesting that, um, I mean, it sounds kind of weird to say it, but people, and I think Bobby had said it earlier, was people like blood. And I don't mean that in a literal sense. I mean that in this Not the a physical, sense. yeah, there's a, this that physical confrontation in that, you know, excitement of, geez, who's going to win? And even Very though we miserable. know this guy is supposed to be really, really good, what if he loses and what does that mean? You right. know and what, what is the what are the implications of that and, right. and I think that 's things that we struggle with every day as martial artists is we constantly are like, "Geez, you know is this stuff good enough? Would it work right. and Unfortunately, I think the answer depends on the day right it just depends on the day you know
1: yeah, yeah. you know, I think the part of this is uh, and we were we were informally talking about this yesterday or the day before is that we're're we're, i think um, we 're constantly in a position of looking at um, one of the other head coaches in RMAX, uh, Joseph Wilson, um, I went to a defensive tactics course uh, given by him, this also in January, and what he did a wonderful job of was delineating the difference between saying, you know, protecting someone, uh, self-defense, uh, the military fighting where your goal is to kill someone and martial art and 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 differentiating these different these different things and i think that sometimes we're ill served if we think that we're accomplishing all of them, and when we 're when we're in a particular session in our dojo or training partners, I think we, it, it's helpful to be very clear about what that particular session is for, because what right. happens in a sport ring when there's rules mm-hmm. in, a, in an official is very different than what happens in the street, which is very different than what happens when, say a bodyguard is working or very different what a cop has to do, yeah. and very different from what from what say you know someone in, in Iraq has to deal with right now. Right. From an RMAX perspective, and again, that's, that's kind of the, where I'm coming from in a lot of this interview, right. is that there's a core set of principles that apply to all of life, whether it be you know, a self-defense experience or a conditioning moment or just living your daily life and watching television. You know, It's about how you hold yourself, how you conduct yourself, the integration of your the, the, a, a core, a fundamental principle would be the integration of your breathing, your structure, and your movement. And those three things, for example, just picking one, mm-hmm. one core principle, those three things need to integrate well for someone to perform in life. And so those, those kinds of core principles weave themselves regardless of what you're doing and so the beauty of this is that you have these foundational concepts so that no matter what you happen to be working on we were, working, we were doing some stick work this weekend which is, is the type of work we were doing was very foreign to me but I was able to, for instance, keep my structural alignment keep my breathing, at least I, that was my goal is to keep my breathing in context with the movement of my body, etc. and so I felt that I was maintaining good form relative to my experience level because I had those baseline principles and so, so whether whether someone were to pursue the CST circular strength training or RMAX principles or another variety, um, that that those that there's my my my, princ- my sense is that there should be a uniformity in those baseline principles, and then they can be directed specifically as they need to be within the experience. Does
3: that make does that make sense? That, that does. It's it's that uniformity of or, or inner concept interactivity of of your principles and your baseline. I think that that was what spoke to me when it started coming around to when we started working with Sun Yun was that we wanted everything to be able to segue with everything else we were doing, no matter what, if you wanted to go off in a competitive aspect, this this training methodology would still be good for that. If you wanted to go into a straight self-defense aspect, it could be adapted towards that walk of life. If you wanted it just for health or creative thinking capabilities or, you know, however else you want to apply it to life, you, you could do that. And so that's that mm-hmm. sounds so you very were, familiar. We're
2: pigeonholed
3: in an exactly.
2: area of expertise. Right. Um, I'm just curious, from your perspective. I, I grew up similar. My martial <laughs> arts background is a smattering of everything I could kind of grab along the way. I consider myself a garage martial artist. I mean, that's okay. where I learned. I learned my first <laughs> martial art. I rolled around in the backyard with you know my instructor, or in his garage if it was raining. And um, so I have this conflict, you know, as I've grown as a martial artist, I have this conflict between saying. I don't know any of these traditional martial arts. You know, I don't have a depth of knowledge in any one field. My my martial arts knowledge is horizontal instead of vertical. And I'm just curious if you have, you know, ever struggled with that or what your thoughts are on on that sort of thing.
1: I'll be totally upfront with you. I do struggle with it. As a matter of fact, uh, I I haven't yet had the opportunity, but I'd hope this weekend to speak with Mushtaq as as a, another mentor of mine. To, about that, as to whether, in his opinion, should I pursue a martial art more deeply than I have? And and I know my, my coach, Scott Sonnen, has said that, you know, if you become great at one thing, you can take that greatness and apply it to, it to other things, that you've become great at something, and that there's a value and an importance in that. Right. And so and so I'm that's something I'm still exploring myself. But I but I know what you mean about the horizontal versus kind of the vertical nature of the education. Right. And 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 that's somewhat atypical. And the other people there's other people, for instance, we've worked with some folks this weekend who have vertical depth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they've got they've got extreme. Eight black belts. You know, they've got they they know what they're doing in so many different disciplines and so that that can be intimidating on some level. It is intimidating. It is.
2: Um, okay. Well, you have a lot of emphasis on on coaching, so these next two questions are somewhat tied together. But um, what do you think the most important? I know there's many, but the most important aspect of of teaching. And as a new student, someone new coming into the martial arts, what would you tell them to look for in a school? Like something, you know, yeah.
1: you know, From from my perspective, and um, you know, I work in I work in San Francisco. And it's a very competitive arena from a trainer-coach perspective. There's a lot of people doing it. And you know, I want to say this in a way that's both frank and, and not pompous, but I had no trouble doing it. And, and it's because what I was able to do, and this is, this is pre-RMAX, um, this was 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago now, um, was I'm very comfortable in being myself and presenting myself as who I am. And so when I come across an athlete or a client, and if for some reason we don't, we don't hit it off, that's okay. And I actually have a group of other trainers or coaches that I will send them to that yeah. I think they might be more closely aligned to. And those other trainers and coaches do the same for me. And so what, what I've done is it's, it's not I don't come from a perspective of I need this client because I need to make money. I come from a perspective of if I work with people and we genuinely have a respect and an admiration for each other, and we can kind of see that that occurs um, that that 's going to occur, we probably have a good reason to be working together at least for a time right and so for something that I do is I meet with every client before I ever work with them. I literally we go to a coffee shop and if it takes an hour if it takes two that 's fine, but I need to understand that there 's some sort of relevance that that there's a there's a meeting of the minds and the soul to, at least to some extent that the, that we should be working together and i 've made the mistake i 've kind of you know either mis misread or misinterpreted someone or there were times where I said, "Well, maybe I can make this work and i can I can fit this this peg in the hole and it and it doesn 't typically you know right. i've looked back and so so the so the, to try to answer the question, would be that I think it's important to actually meet with the, the, the core teachers. If, if you're considering going into a class or into a dojo, is to ask them to meet with you outside of that arena. Because when you go into someone, for instance, when I said meeting at a coffee shop, I don't have them come to my gym because that's my space. Right. And I don't go to their home because that's their space. I have meet at a neutral space where we're able to both come as, you know, as candid and as straightforward people as we can. And exchange some thoughts, ideas, and questions to see whether we do have a meeting of the minds. And so that would be my encouragement. And if and if you're if someone's really considering going back into the martial arts or into the marf, excuse me the martial arts, and they come across a potential instructor who's unwilling to meet with them in that manner, I think that's their answer there. Gotcha. I mean, if someone's unwilling to take a few minutes of their time to meet with a potential student, then. In other words, maybe maybe the top person in that in that dojo can't, but one of the instructors in that in that in that top circle should be able to spend some time with that person and ask them about the philosophy behind the gym, what they can expect attitudinally in that experience. Because the attitude of the people in the dojo and whether you're gonna be there's gonna be a harmony there I think is critical for someone who's going to succeed. And it's okay that one dojo works for one person and one for another person. Right. What you're looking for is that, that marriage and that blend.
3: Um, We've been very fortunate in that realm so far, haven't we? Yeah. yeah.
2: I, I know I had a personal experience one time where I was looking for a martial artist before I um, came back to Chuck. Um, and I went to this school, and I had a, the, the the master had a known reputation. People knew him all this every day. He had a known reputation. And I walked into the dojo, which was at the YWCA. Well, at the YWCA, so big... And I walk in there, and I'm, and I'm obviously new. I don't know anybody there, and I'm looking around, and I waited for a good five minutes. No one came to me. None of the senior students came over and said hi. Nobody said anything. So I'm immediately, of course, now I'm like, oh, well, this isn't good. Because I know for me personally, when I see somebody new come to our dojo, I hop over there. Hey, how you doing? Do you need some help? Uh, are you here to talk to somebody? Or, you know, you know, just so they have a feeling of, like, I'm not, I'm not ignoring you. So I had to go find somebody. Right. And, like, hey, where's the senior student? Talk to them, and... That was an immediate turnoff, of course, right. because now I'm thinking, geez, are you even interested in, I mean, have any care that I'm even here? Right. So I think that's important. Um, all right, so lastly, I guess, um, any good nuggets of information for other coaches and instructors, um, things for them to think about when they're teaching other people?
1: You know, my my main thing, and I, actually about 30% of my clients are other other trainers. So I train the trainers, and so what I find is that they, most of the trainers and coaches today get wrapped up in what has become the modern physical culture, which is a strongly derived from bodybuilding. And so, a lot of the conditioning work right because you've got your you've got your sport or your art, and then you've got the conditioning system which supports you so you can participate fully and healthfully in that sport um, and then hopefully you've got some things that will help to compensate for the the stresses that you build up and and what i what I find is that and i work in for instance I work in San Francisco in a very kind of high end private training gym. And most of the trainers there, and they're good natured. they have every good intention in the world, but they haven't really set out and explored on their own what other possibilities might be. And that's what the encouragement, as a coach and instructor, it's about, to me it's about exploration. I work with um, a couple of trainers in particular who used to be training buddies of mine, and the reason that they're not anymore is because they don't do the things they do with their clients. For me personally, I don't have my clients do anything I don't do. I mean, I do it every day. I don't do it every week. I don't do it every month. That's impossible. But but whether it's Olympic lifts or it's the clubbell training, certainly the armax and CST training, or whatever it is, even kettle kettlebells and these different things, I do all of this work myself. And so I know viscerally, I know emotionally, I know intellectually what is happening when those when that when that exercise and that workout and that workout style is being done. And so there's a combination that I see of of trainers and coaches who are not necessarily exploring what new possibilities could be in their in the, in, the, in the emerging physical culture and I think about the subcultures and I think, you know, again, RMAX is a good example and there are others of uh, of this emerging subculture I think, I think exploring those subcultures as well as they should be I would encourage them to do more of the work that they have to do with their clients
2: Great, that's great Um, I think that's all I have. <laughs> great. Well,
1: I, I really appreciate it. Thank, thank you, so Cody. This thank has you. been great. Thank you, your time.